0: Zinge, singe Sange Zinga. You're listening to Zinga Network at zinganetwork.com. The other night I walked out of my house and the night air was hot, heavy, oppressive, suffocating. I had been out earlier in the day, and it had been cool with a light breeze, but somehow, at some point, when I wasn't paying attention, the weather turned into something else. Not a storm, just heat. Just a pressure. It was gross. A glass of rosé would be good right now, I thought to myself. So I walked over to my regular bar, the George R., where I was greeted by my regular bartenders, Yulia and Patrick. And Yulia said, would you like a glass of rosé because of the weather? And I said, yes, and thought about a bartender I knew once a long time ago in New York, and how she used to always know what I wanted to drink before I even bellied up to the bar. I thought, could it be? Is this a second chance? Do I get to start all over again, but this time with, I don't know, feeling? Or is it just coincidence, just the hallmark of a very good bartender in a very good bar? Welcome to Artipis, art you can hear. Artipis is back at Berlin's A plus gallery for Simon Motorson's solo exhibition, Dauerauftrag. So I sat there at the bar thinking about loops and time and memory and reality and messaged my friend Matt, a physicist at CERN, because who else are you going to ask about this stuff? messaged. How are you? I have a quick physics question for you. Does time bend like light? Good question, Matt answered, socratically. What do you have in mind by light being bent? The night after this conversation took place, I would be on my way to another art opening in another part of town. And on my way, I would stop in at Alplus Gallery in my house, who would also be having an opening that night, for German painter Simon Modersen's exhibit, Dauerauftrag, which means automatic payment in English, the kind you set up so you never have to remember to pay your bills. But on this night, at the bar, I said, I meant, does time bend like light does in a prism or a mirror, bouncing and warping and rainbowing off the surface of things? Well, said Matt, in the first instance, light can bend when it passes through the interface between two media, like between air and water. But that bending is not gravitational, it's electromagnetic. I said, I thought this was a yes or no question. On the following night, the air would again be hot and heavy and suffocating. Everyone who came to the opening at A Gallery was standing outside in the hof. Literally no one was in the gallery itself. I walked in and saw a window, a dishwasher, a pet carrier, a chair, a landscape. And I thought, ah, ah, yes. The dishwasher especially made me smile. And then I left. I was on my way to another opening, but on the U-Bahn, I kept thinking about this dishwasher. It made me so happy because it reminded me of my dishwasher in the home I had just walked out of. It's weird to remember something that is in your life in the present time, but not the present moment. It's the first time in my adult life I've had a dishwasher. They've come a long way from the clunky, loud machines of the early 80s. My dishwasher hums warmly at night, full of proof of life, finished meals, food cooked, a week's worth of daily tasks completed, cycling gently in the background, the quiet melody of a practical parent, of things being taken care of, of safety, surety, of home. The night before I was on this U-Bahn, Matt said, light can also be bent in the sense of space-time being warped by a massive object. So I think the answer is no. I don't believe gravity gets bent in the same way. But I think it does, I said. What about event horizons around a black hole? I didn't know the dishwasher was such a universal symbol, but when I thought about it, the following night, sitting on the U-Bahn, I realized it was. And thinking of Simon's painting, my memory would present the dishes as clean, whole, at the end of the cycle. But then I would look at the photo I took of the painting and be surprised. The dishwasher was old, had broken all the dishes, the knives were sticking through the walls and the plates were all broken. It was utter destruction. But that's not how I remembered the painting at all. I had remembered it better than it was. The night before, Matt explained that in general relativity, gravity warps space-time. This is the second sense of bending, he said. But gravity is time, I exclaimed, referring back to a conversation we had a year before, when Matt was passing through Berlin just after his daughter was born. Before I got on the u that next night, while I was still at the Alplus Gallery with Simon's paintings, I would, when I thought about it, find the paintings to be quite brave. Who would paint a pet carrier, or a dishwasher, or a plastic chair? These everyday objects that we take for granted that are, in fact, hard to find beauty in. They're taking the idea of Marcel Duchamp's ready-mades one step further, from taking the ordinary manufactured object and simply signing an artist's name to it, to turning them into actual art and closing the loop. There is no argument if we define art as painting on a canvas. But do we? Although the images in the paintings are photorealistic, Zimun paints everything from memory. But these are not memories of a girl in a garden hat somewhere in Provence, or picnickers in a park on a Sunday afternoon. I mention the Impressionists because these are impressions, memories that are impressed upon us rather than preserved, held delicate and romantic. They are the memories of everyday things, the things we actually remember. A pet carrier, a dishwasher, a white plastic chair. They're the signs and symbols of a familiar place, safety, home I once heard an old, old man on the radio a famous essayist, but I don't remember his name talk about what it was like to get older he said that aging is like wandering through a familiar house one you haven't visited in years one where you are delighted at remembering the order of the rooms and rediscover trinkets and chairs in the flotsam of life with joy old, familiar things that our memories are tied to The night before, Matt informed me that Einstein's field equations are highly nonlinear, and the solution for the metric tensor depends upon itself. There is an energy density associated with a gravitational field, and this energy density acts as a source of gravity in its own right. So, if the question is, does gravity gravitate, if time is gravity, then yes, gravity self interacts. It is both responsible for the bending and affected by the bending. I informed Matt. I'm at my local bar, by the way, so this question is also fueled by heat, high barometric pressure, and rosé. The very next night, in the empty Auplus gallery, while everyone tried to cool off outside, I would also find Simon's paintings to be poignant, although that has to do a bit more with my personal acquaintance of the artist himself. We spent a rainy late summer night together, me and Zimon and Hagen, and a curator named Chiara and another artist named Henrik, drinking zakt and goofing around in Hagen's office. Zimon sporting an entire suit to keep him dry while riding home in the rain, made out of blue IKEA bags. Simon who told us about working at Zalando, the online fashion portal, and one of Berlin's largest employers of people too young or too new, either way too desperate, to recognize when they're being exploited until they're being exploited. The paintings make me think of this time, the young artist's life spent between sleep and work to pay the rent, no time and no room to study any other subject than what is in front of him, a pet carrier, a dishwasher, a chair, but the dishwasher has exploded. The night before, I explained to Matt that I think I was thinking about everything in the wrong way, meaning I thought gravity could only affect other things, not itself as well. I hadn't considered the infinite nature of it all. It's a bit funny to think about, said Matt. The following night in the empty A Plus gallery, I would notice that the lines of the paintings are remarkably precise and sharp, sharper than any memory can ever be, as sharp as your fingernails digging into the palm of your hand when you're holding onto something too tight. Memories, emotions, reality, self. The white plastic chair is, I think, brilliant. It is centered on the canvas in a golden yellow room, white plastic beads parted in the doorway, the place you enter the painting. The chair is the most common chair. You know the kind. They're the same white plastic chairs you see in people's gardens, outside cafes, at tavernas in Greece, bodegas in Brooklyn, lined up at restaurant tables in Istanbul, clustered in groups for the old men to watch street corners in Italy, perched on curbs in China, parked in the shade in Johannesburg. They are as universal as the word taxi, these chairs. Once I read about a Reebok shoe somehow landing on the moon— I wonder if these white plastic chairs are floating through the universe in a milky way of space junk. Just the night before, Matt was saying, you can imagine you are near a really massive object, and then you have two smaller objects nearby which are feeling each other's gravity. That interaction could be modified by the fact that they're near something supermassive, meaning the space-time in their neighborhood is warped. So that's how I would think about bending time. But yeah, of course, that makes sense, I said. But I'm also thinking of it from the massive object's perspective. The next night, as I would walk across the empty gallery, I would see that the pet carrier is both flat and dynamic, almost a trompe l'oeil, like the window on the opposite wall, foam insulation leaking out at the edges, the surface so flat it allows the light in the room to play across it, like real glass. I don't know how Zimon gets the paint so smooth, the lines so sharp. But back to the pet carrier that disappears in the darkness. Is there something hiding inside that's soft and furry and maybe a little vulnerable and scared? Or is it ratty and dirty and rabid with fear? Or is it empty? Does it lead to infinity? Does it lead to nothing like memory's incestuous relationship with death? And on a wall all to itself, I would see a painting not like the others. A farmhouse, perhaps, a field in the background, and a yellow construction crane parked in front of it. A rooster runs across the foreground of the painting. Everything is dark, as if colored by a summer thunderstorm, except the eyes of the rooster, which glow disturbingly, challengingly white. This is the painting that seems most like memory, distorted, disturbing, dreamlike. And it's the only painting in the entire group that expresses movement, the rooster running across a threshold. But the rooster is the only thing that's moving. Everything else is caught in the stillness of the coming storm. And the painting is called The Yellow Bird, clearly referring to the construction crane and not the actual bird, in that way that memory assigns meaning and life and movement to the things in the background, highlighting the things off-center, out of focus, the things we didn't know we cared about but the things that stick with us. Massive objects have feelings, too, said Matt. I just watched a great documentary about Andre the Giant. He then concluded, I'll let you get back to enjoying your rosé. I have an early flight tomorrow. Matt would be joining his daughter and his wife, my friend Jessica, from New York, who met her husband Matt one night when she was tending bar. One week later, I would be at Bessie 2, a particle accelerator here in Berlin, listening to how accelerated electrons racing around the loop, which is just a closed path, create light every time they crash around a bend. Light, in fact, bends space-time which explains memories and exploding dishwashers and the unbearable lightness of a white plastic chair, the space-time, the electrons, the light, and the eye of a rooster as it races to shelter from a storm. Simon Modersen's Dauerauftrag is on view at a Plus Gallery, located at Stromstraße 38 in Berlin until August 24th. You can follow Simon on Instagram at at Simon underscore motorzone S-I-M-O-N underscore M-O-D-E-R-S-O-H-N. Original music used in this episode is Blues, performed by Calvin Frazier and Samson Pittman and recorded by Alan Lomax in 1938 and is part of the Alan Lomax Collection of Michigan and Wisconsin Recordings at the American Folklife Center in the Library of Congress. No copyright applies. Artipus is evolving into 3D. We are very excited to announce our very first Artipus Salon, Art You Experience. Find out more information on our Instagram or on our Facebook page at Artipus. That's A-R-T-I-P-O-E-U-S. Artipus is produced in Berlin for Zinga Network. And you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify under Zynga Network. Just search for S-I-N-G-E Network. Artipus is also broadcasting France exclusively on World Radio Paris. W-R-P on your D-A-B dial. I'm Suzy Kolick, and you've been listening to Artipus, art you can hear. You've been listening to Artipus, produced and edited in Berlin by Susie Kollek, with original theme music by Hotlegs for the Zinga Network, S-I-N-G-E-Network.com.